Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is special guest speaker, Jim Mitchell. First time I saw that scene, no way would I have taken that step. That was truly a leap of faith, because he could not see, which we rely on a lot, that which he was going to step on. Now, he had the book in front of him. And he had a drawing, and he'd been following this book with his father, and everything had happened as it was written in the book. But even with that, it was still a very tough decision for him to make. Which of us would not have been faced with doubt looking at something like that? And I look at that, and I'm thinking, I wouldn't even walk across the thing, let alone step across it. I mean, I'd have been going on hands and knees kind of thing to do this, because I do not like heights. And unfortunately, not liking heights, I ended up doing Young Life as a ministry and taking kids to camps. And one of the things at all of our camps are ropes courses, which we're expected to do right along with the kids. And the first time I took a group of kids to camp, I was going to have to face this. I knew that that was coming when I got there. But you kind of put it out of your mind because it's middle of the week. You got lots of things going on. And then that day came, and I started sweating early because I knew that I was going to have to get up in trees, which I just don't like doing. So we blindfold the kids. We do this little faith walk thing to take them up there, which was great because I wasn't blindfolded. They were. And I'm watching them stumble around. It's a wonderful thing to see somebody else struggling with it, not me. Then we get up there, and I'm looking up, and I'm seeing all these people in the trees and these ropes, and, and you know, some of them are swinging around and having a great time, and others look like what I know I'm going to look like. They're going like this all the way across. <laughs> So we start getting the harnesses on, and you got these two ropes hanging out in front of you with carabiners on them so that you can hook in and all that kind of stuff. And they give us their little spiel, and they say, okay, now the leader needs to go first. So they hook me up on this thing. You have to step up on this little platform, and they hook me up. And the first thing you walk up is a log that's been planed, so it's flat. So it's not too bad. I'm going up on this thing, and I can feel it tugging somewhat. On, on here, and they tell us, you know, if you feel scared, just sit down and you'll see that it holds you. And they get, no way am I doing that. So I'm the whole time struggling, and they have the, the rope up high enough, I can't reach that rope. I'm having to hang on to these ropes. So as I'm walking up, I'm doing this the whole time because, you know, it's not real steady. But I finally make it to the top, and then they tell you, okay, now unclip and clip onto this other thing. And I look back at him. I'm, I'm probably only like, you know, seven feet off the ground at this point. I'm like, are you nuts? <laughs> you know? They say, no, you just do one at a time, so you're always clipped in. So, you know, I do this, and I'm going, you know, I finally get it clipped on. Okay, do the other one. I do that. Now step up. I'm like, what? <laughs> so you have to step up, and the next one's a wire going across, just a wire. I mean, before I at least had something this wide. Now I got something this wide that I'm walking across. But this one, they have the, the rope up above I could hang on to. So I'm, you know, doing that little number to go across. And then when I get to the next one, uh, it's, I mean, it just keeps going on and on, and it keeps going higher and higher on each of these things and finally going across a log that hasn't been planed. So it's got this nice rounded feeling to it as I'm going across. And again, I can't reach the rope above me, and I'm, you know, having to do all this kind of stuff back and forth. And then the last thing is you have to climb a tree and get up on a little platform to jump for a trapeze bar. So I climb up onto this thing, and they, I, I get up there, and, you know, the tree's right there, and they have you hooked in, and I'm holding onto the tree like this. So they say, okay, step out to the edge. Now, just put 
Five toes over the edge. Can you do that? Okay. That's good. Can you do a little more than that? You know, like another inch? Okay. Okay, now put the other foot there. <laughs> so they work with me till I'm finally got ten toes over the edge. Say, okay, now let go of the tree. Okay, let go with the other hand. Okay. Now let go with the other hand. Okay. Let go with both hands. Mm-mm. <laughs> so they finally work with me, you know, to where they've got me with both hands, and I'm looking down, and it's a long ways down there. Remember Jeff talking a couple weeks ago about the high dive? They at least had water. I'm looking down at ground, rocks, and dirt, and, you know, and, and tree roots and that kind of thing, and they're going to want me to jump off of this thing and grab this trapeze bar. It was bad enough I had to get up in the trees and do all this stuff. Now they want me to leave the trees, and I can't climb down. I have to jump down. Even with all the best information and all the documentation and personal experience, I had watched all these people do all this, and I knew young life wouldn't do anything that was not safe, and I knew that People had been ahead of me all day long and had gone through this ropes course and they were back down to camp playing and they were fine and that they'd been doing this for months and years and this stuff going on. Even with all that information, I was pretty sure I was going to die right there. This was it. I had, I, I had all that information at my disposal and yet I'm sitting there thinking, this can't be right. This doesn't fit into my way of thinking to jump out of a tree onto this ground. It's just not going to happen for me. A lot of us face things like that, where no matter how much we have in front of us, we still doubt. Jeff, uh, three weeks ago, used this passage of Scripture uh, with John the Baptist. It's from Matthew eleven two. It says, when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. This wasn't news to John. He knew all this, and yet he's still questioning here. His whole life was geared towards ushering in the ministry of Jesus. When Jesus showed up to be baptized, he baptized him with no doubt. He knew who he was. He knew what he was there for. He knew this was the beginning, and yet as he's facing the end of his life, he suddenly having his doubts. I don't know about you, but I take encouragement from that. That somebody like John, who was born for that purpose, to usher in the ministry of Jesus in a public way, had his own doubts. I don't feel so bad about my doubts then when I realize that people like him struggle with that too. And we're going to look at some of this today. You've got notes in your bulletin there if you want to pull those out if you haven't already. The great thing about notes is they give you something to do. And if you're bored, you can tell when we're getting close to the end. So it's got a dual purpose there for you. So the first part here is the one who doubts is, and you can fill in up and down emotionally. James 1.6, but when he asks, this is talking about us, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. I don't know if you've ever been out, you know, in some place like that where your boat is just being thrown all over the place. I've been in that experience. It's not a pleasant experience. And he's saying that's what we become like emotionally. We become spiritually bipolar. Woohoo! Praise the Lord! The next day, where is God? 
And then two days later, I'm so in love with Jesus. And the next day, I'm just not sure. And we just, we, we go all over the place emotionally. The second one is we get tossed to and fro doctrinally. I like this one because I like the phrase to and fro. We don't use that one often enough anymore. We get tossed to and fro doctrinally here. Ephesians 4.14, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Do you remember, again, Jeff talked a couple of weeks ago, he used the illustration from Tevye talking to folks, and he's saying, you're right. And somebody else says something, he goes, and you're right. And the third person, you're right. It's so easy for us to, to hear stuff and say, they're all right. How do I know? What's the difference here? Every idea sounds like a good idea. There are people out there who will tell you every road leads to God. They're all good. They're all right. Mike Warnke, who was a Christian comedian back in the 70s, tells about when he was in Vietnam. He saw this guy that was wearing all these necklaces. One was a cross, and he had a star of David, some sort of a crescent moon thing, about five or other things, and he's like, what's up with that? And the guy goes, I, I believe. <laughs> he was covering all the bases there. Sometimes that's how we are. I mean, we are just tossed all over the place talking. I don't know what to believe here. It's easy to follow the latest spiritual fad, and there are folks out there who do that. And here's the third thing. The one who doubts is answering yes and no mentally. Picture, if you will, this illustration here. Nick Swisher of the Oakland A's. He's barreling around third base, and he's headed for home. The ball is in the glove, the guy in the outfield, the San Francisco Giants, Benji Molina, the catcher for the Giants. He's got one foot on the plate, that glove's out there. The ball is coming into home, and you know this one is going to be close. I mean, even if you're watching from home, you're out of the couch, you're watching, it's going to be great. He smacks into Benji Molina, dust flies everywhere. You're waiting, and there's no call, and okay, everyone, just chill out a minute. I need some time to process all of this. There is no way that can happen in baseball. That umpire has got to make a decision right then. He can't negotiate. He can't consider the facts and think it out and try to come to a good, reasonable conclusion. He has got to make a decision right then. He's paid to make that decision. He can't be going back and forth in his mind about, well, you know, Nick came down low. I couldn't quite tell, but, you know, he had the, he can't sit there and consider all that. He has to make that decision. And he knows whether he says out or safe, half the fans are going to be mad at him. But if he makes no decision, they will all be mad at him at that point. Decision-making is not easy. And when it comes to doubt and to faith, there are some decisions that need to be made there. James 1.8 says this, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. When you have a hard time making a decision, you become unstable. Do you know anyone like this in your life that can't seem to make a decision? You put a couple of things in front of them, and they just can't do it. I mean, there are people who, who get stuck in the grocery store for hours because they can't decide. You know, Dave Kaur was telling me after the last message, he, he saw this person looking at deodorant. Men's deodorant. It was a woman looking at deodorant in the grocery store on the cell phone, talking to her husband, describing how the deodorant smelled. Talk about not being able to make a decision. I'm wondering if the husband on the other end is saying, smell the other one too. Tell me about that. I mean, there's some things that you just got to make the decision. Now, we're talking, obviously, about bigger decisions here. We're talking about eternal decisions. We're talking about life and death decisions. We're talking about, is God 
real? Is Jesus who he said he is? Did Jesus raise from the dead as we just celebrated right here? I mean, these are some big things that we wrestle with, but some decisions have to be made. We can't be going back and forth on those all the time. Now, we do make those decisions, and we say, yes, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And there are times that Satan is going to come at us and cause some doubt. So that's what we're going to look at here lastly is how to deal with these doubts today. The first one is this. Question your doubts, not your faith. Question your doubts, not your faith. I'm at the ropes course. I'm standing on the edge of this platform. Toes out, hands out. And the person that's belaying me is about five foot two, 90 pounds dripping wet, I swear, little tiny gal. And I'm looking at her, and I'm questioning whether or not she can hold me. I mean, I, math has never been my best subject, but I can do the math on this one. 170 pounds, 90 pounds, I'm going down, she's going up. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, it doesn't work that way. They've got the ropes all figured or whatever, so that doesn't happen. I've seen her do all this stuff. I've been watching as I'm going through the rose course, knowing that's coming. And I ask her, have you done this before? How stupid is that? I've been watching her do it. She's been doing it all day. She's like, yes, she stayed very calm because they trained them very well. I'm sh- are you sure you can hold me? Yes, I'm very sure. I'll be able to hold you. It'll be no problem. How long have you been doing this? Yeah, we're, we're going through this little dialogue. So she says, okay, I'm going to count to three. I want you to jump. Okay. Now put your hand out. Okay. <laughs> One, two, three. Okay, let's count again. And when I get to three, you jump. Okay. One, two, three. You've got to jump. There's people behind you. I don't want to. I mean, I'm telling you, this is my conversation. I'm not making this up here. Okay, put your hands back out. We're going to count to three, and this time I really want you to jump. Okay. Can we do it? One, two, three. Uh Uh-uh, can't do it. Okay, I'm going to count to three one more time. If you don't jump, I'm pulling you. I'm thinking to myself, she's not a Christian. (laughs) I don't know where they got this woman, but she's not nice. Okay, so I put my hands back out again. The thing is, I believed her. So she counted one, two, three, and off I went. And I grabbed that bar. The funny thing is, is there was so much adrenaline, I hit the bar about right here and then slid down to the bar. And inside, I'm like, thank you, God. And I'm hanging there and swinging back and forth. You okay up there? Yep. Okay, I'm going to count to three, and I want you to let go. No way. That is not happening. (laughs) She goes, you have to come down. And I'm thinking, you try and yank me off of this one. The platform you could yank me off of. This one, I got a good grip here. But she eventually talked me down. One, two, three, let go. And down I went, and, you know, I didn't hit the ground. It was nice and soft, and they lowered me, just like I'd seen them do with everybody else. But I struggled with all of that, even though I had all that information. You know, the funny thing is that God has never asked for a great deal of faith from us. When you look at the scriptures, he asks for how much? Mustard seed. A little tiny thing. I never knew what a mustard seed was until I started seeing women wear them and that little necklace thing with, you know, the mustard seed inside. That's pretty tiny. God just asks for a little bit of faith to trust him. 
And we need to say to ourselves, is God going to make a mistake? I mean, I'm looking at this little girl down here and thinking she could mess up. She could just suddenly be distracted, lose the grip, something could go wrong. I mean, I've, I've run all those scenarios through my mind before I'm jumping of all the things that could go wrong here. We've got to ask ourselves, do we believe that God will make a mistake? Because if you don't think he makes mistakes, that means we can trust him every single time. We need to question our doubts and not our faith. Here's the second thing. Concentrate on what you know, not on what you don't know. The African Impala can jump to a height of 10 feet and can jump forward at the same time 30 feet. That is a long ways to go. If you could put them in the Olympics, they got the long jump stowed up. But you put them in a zoo, and you can keep them behind a three-foot fence. As long as you put a little valley on the other side of that fence to where they cannot see where their feet will land. Because if they cannot see where they're supposed to land, then their instinct tells them how far they can jump and how high they can jump. If they can't visually see that area, they will not jump. And so they literally can hold them with a three-foot fence. In fact, if you go to the San Francisco Zoo, you will see this. But imagine if you could become an Impala and go in there and tell them, hey, guys, we can get out. It's really easy. All they did was they put a little, you know, gully there. We can jump over. I know you'll land and you'll be okay. Let's break out tonight. You think they'd go for it? Everything in them, everything they know tells them that they can't do that. But what they don't know is that they could. Oftentimes, we concentrate on what we can see. You know, what I know is there's no place for me to land over here. What I don't know is that it's only this deep, and it's just out of my sight, and I could easily do it. All of us have faced situations like that, where once we got past it, we're like, well, that wasn't so bad. That was easier than I thought it would be. And faith can be that way, too. Trusting God can be easier than we think it is. So you got to ask yourself, are you feeling lucky? Can you trust God? John 9.25 says this. This is a blind man that Jesus had healed, and he's talking to the Pharisees. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. He only had a small piece of information about Jesus. He hadn't been following Jesus for all these years. He hadn't seen all the miracles. He hadn't heard the teachings. He didn't know any of that stuff. He says, this is all I know, this one little piece of information. I was blind, and now I see. And that was enough, obviously, for him to be able to trust that Jesus was who he said he was. We make fun of the Israelites because look at all they had. They escaped the plagues of Egypt. God allowed millions of them to leave the land. He split the sea for them to walk across on dry land, and then it filled back in and and killed the Egyptian army that was following them. There was a cloud by day to follow, a pillar of fire at night for them to see. There was manna on the ground every morning. Moses could tap a rock with his staff and fresh water would come out. God sent quail to feed them. Illustration after illustration after illustration of God's care, and yet they still doubted. We're not unlike the Israelites. Look at the world you and I live in. 
Look at what we have and what God has blessed us with. And yet we still doubt at times whether or not God will meet our needs. God will take care of us. The third one here is trust in the Lord with your heart and not just your head. We're going to look at another movie clip here. It's from the movie Contact. Jodie Foster is the main character in this, and she plays a scientist who's had an unusual experience. They they built this machine to go to the center of the universe to meet what they think are aliens. And she has this incredible experience, a heaven-like experience, where she meets her father who has died. And now she's standing before a Senate subcommittee who is questioning what's going on here because she has no scientific data to present to them. Let's run that clip. Doctor, are you familiar with the scientific precept known as Occam's razor? Yes. It means that all things being equal, the simplest explanation tends to be the right one. Exactly. Now, you tell me, what is more likely here? That a message from aliens results in a magical machine that whisks you away to the center of the galaxy to go windsurfing with dear old dad and then a split second later returns you home without a single shred of proof. Or that your experience is the result of being the unwitting star in the farewell performance of one S.R. Haddon. A man with the means, the motive, and the opportunity to play you and indeed the rest of us as pawns in the biggest, the most elaborate, the most expensive hoax of all time. Dr. Arroway, you come to us with no evidence, no record, no artifacts, only a story that, to put it mildly, strains credibility. Over half a trillion dollars were spent. Dozens of lives were lost. Are you really going to sit there and tell us we should just take this all on faith? Please answer the question, Doctor. Is it possible that it didn't happen? Yes. As a scientist, I must concede that. I must volunteer that. Wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You admit that you have absolutely no physical evidence to back up your story. Yes. You admit that you very well may have hallucinated this whole thing. You admit that if you were in our position, you would respond with exactly the same degree of incredulity and skepticism. Then why don't you simply withdraw your testimony and concede that this journey to the center of the galaxy, in fact, never took place? Because I can't. I had an experience. I can't prove it. I can't even explain it. But everything that I know as a human being, everything that I am tells me that it was real. I was given something wonderful, something that changed me forever. A vision of the universe that tells us undeniably how tiny and insignificant and how rare and precious we all are. 
a vision that tells us that we belong to something that is greater than ourselves, that we are not, that none of us are alone. I could share that. I wish that everyone, if even for one moment, could feel that awe and humility and hope. But that continues to be my wish. Virgin birth, walking on water, feeding 5,000 people with a few loaves of bread, the dead raised, Jesus himself back from the grave. Incredulous. No scientific evidence. And yet, we know. We know it's true. And we're going to face those people in our lives. Say, you stand before me and you tell me you believe this and you have no evidence? And yet we know the evidence is right here. See, I know. I've had the experience. The Spirit is within me. And I know. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Too many times our brain gets in the way of what we know to be true. We need to question our doubts rather than our faith. I love to read. I don't read as much as I used to. I read mostly at night, and that's a problem, particularly if I'm reading a novel. I hate to start a new novel because the author keeps introducing new characters and keeps introducing new subplots. Being old and reading at night, I can only get about a chapter a night in if I'm lucky. So I have to keep going back and saying, who is this guy again? And looking at the other chapters. But I keep plugging away because I know that eventually... By experience, that author is going to take all of those characters and all those subplots and put them all together into some substance, something I can understand as I get closer to the end of the book to where I get to those last three or four chapters and I actually can stay awake to read them all because it's so exciting as I get to the end. Life is like that. God is introducing new people into your life. He's throwing in subplots you didn't see coming. Life takes a left turn all of a sudden. You're like, this isn't right. Where did this come from? How did this happen? And why is this person suddenly in my life? I don't like them. I don't like this character. But if you've lived long enough, you know that God is weaving together all those characters and all those subplots. And you know what? The ending is going to be awesome. We need to believe and trust that God's plan, the story of our life, as confusing as it might be right now, will all make sense as it all comes together in his timing and in his plan. God is writing your story even today. No matter how confused you might feel about what's going on, you just know that God is weaving that story together for the incredible ending. It's going to be there someday. Worship team, come on up as we close in prayer. Father, we know it's no surprise to you that we doubt. We're no different than 
all the people you've dealt with for thousands of years. Lord, even with all the evidence in front of us, we struggle. And Lord, at other times, with absolutely no evidence that we can see, taste, feel, hear, smell, that Lord, we believe. Lord, this morning, we just ask that you would give us the courage and the strength where we need it to trust our hearts and not our minds at times. That, Lord, when you say to us, just trust me, that we can do that. Lord, help us to question our doubts this week instead of our faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.